please stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is God's word. Good morning, Westgate. Good morning. Uh, would you join me in prayer as we look into God's word this morning? Father, we come to you this morning. We ask that you would quieten our hearts. We ask, Lord, that even as we look into your word, that you would speak to us this morning. I pray, Lord, that you will take away all the distractions in our life, in our mind, uh, that as we gathered here together as a community, that our focus, our gaze would be upon you, God who is our refuge, God who is our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. God, I pray that we would put our trust in you, not only in big things in life, but even in our day-to-day life, Lord. We pray that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a story of a man by the name of uh, Horatia Spafford. Uh, He was a successful um, attorney in Chicago. And he had, uh, you know, a lot of real estate properties in in Lake Michigan. And uh, he was very wealthy. But he was also known to be a very... uh, spiritual person who was a good husband and a father to his children, Uh, but he was also known to be a devout student of the scriptures. Just some time before the Chicago fire in 1871, uh, he had lost his only son. And when the Chicago fire happened, he lost all the investment that he had in his business. So financially, he was totally broke. And so he and his family, his wife and his four daughters, they decided, okay, let's take a break from all this chaos. Uh, Let's go somewhere as a family. You know, let's just take some time out. So they decide to go to uh, Europe. So all the plans are made. And just two days before the trip, um, Spafford has some business opportunity that comes. So he decides as a family that he would send his family and then he would join them two days later. 
And as his family, his wife and four daughters leave, their ship gets struck by another vessel. And within 12 minutes, the ship sinks. And the only survivors, finally they reach the shores of England. And Spafford gets a telegram from his bereaved wife saying, saved alone. And realizing that he has lost uh, his four daughters, Spafford leaves uh, to go um, comfort his wife. And as he's on his ship, on his way to meet his wife, he pens down one of the beautiful hymns, a song that we sing every Sunday all over the world. And we sang even this morning. It is well, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. His anchor, his hope, his trust was on God who had called him, who had rescued him from sin, death, and he had his faith totally fixed on the God who had called him. And this morning, as we look into Psalm 46, it's a psalm that's comforted many believers throughout centuries. It was written by the sons of Korah, and it's called a psalm which talks about the presence of God among his people, the presence of God strengthening his people, the presence of God that's using his people for God's work. And many scholars believe that this psalm was written in the context of, you know, if you go back to the Old Testament and read Second Kings chapter 19, it's a, it's a story about how uh, King Hezekiah is, uh, is seeking God's help in defeating this army, which is around 180,000 soldiers which are, who have surrounded his army, which is small. And overnight, we, f- we see that God sends an angel and totally destroys this uh, enemy. So many scholars believe this psalm was written on that context that God rescues his people, that God's presence is with with his people uh, no matter what happens. And the theme of the psalm is, you know, the Lord of hosts is our refuge and strength in times of trouble. And you will find when we read the chapter, the the section is divided into three. And there's a break word which says selah, selah. Selah simply means to, you know, to take time to meditate, to think over what you have just read. So this is a beautiful psalm that is very, very uh, apt for us in today's world. Because with the chaos, with the confusion, uh, with all the things that are going around us, it's, it's, it's very easy for us to rely on our own strength. It's very easy to rely on what we can do in our life and forgetting that it is God and God alone who is our strength. And this morning, I want to unpack four things that, you know, uh, we find in this psalm. The first one is God's protection is always available. If you read the first three verses, you'd find that it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives away, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And there are two kinds of protection the psalmist talks about in this verse. Before we go into who God is, 
There are two things that God is protecting his people from. The first one is, he's protecting us from troubles. We face troubles in all sizes and forms in our day-to-day life. From the time we wake up in the morning to go to bed, there's trouble which comes in every shape and form. They are unavoidable. There is, there is no way of thinking, you know, the day is going to go without it. It is when trouble is going to come in our lives. Someone said, it's only when you kick a bucket, you will know what's inside it. Many a times in our Christian life, you know, it's, it's easy to, you know, thank God to come to a gathering and, and, you know, just be joyful. But it's only when we are faced with troubles in our life, it shows where our anchor is. Trials teach us what we are. They dig up the soil and, and let us see what we are made of. And someone said, life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we respond to it. And many times we are so, so much engrossed with the trouble that we forget there is a God who is there as our strength. We forget God is there as a refuge and he is close to us and he's not somewhere in a distant looking down on us. And nowhere in the Bible you will see that uh, it says that as followers of Christ, we will not have trouble. Nowhere in the Bible it says every day is going to be Friday. Nowhere in the Bible it says that our lives are only going to be filled with blessings. Our lives are going to be filled with only good health. Our lives are going to be filled with riches. In fact, Jesus in John 16, he says, In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I am with you. Christ promises trouble. And even he goes to an extent to say that, If you are my disciples, you will face persecution. It might not be something physical that you know, many other countries face. It can be a day-to-day something you know, that we face with our, uh, in, in, in our workplaces or our neighborhood. There is going to be trouble. There is going to be trials. But the question is, how are we going to respond to that in our day-to-day life? What will you do when you face trouble? So that's the first kind of protection that God is talking about here, that he's going to protect us from troubles. The second one, you know, the psalmist introduces a cosmic language here. He talks about God's protection from the foundations of the world. In verses 2 and 3, he says... You know, he's going to give this figurative speech of saying, you know, when the earth gives away, when the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. You know, the closest that I've gone to this is uh, way back in 2004 when the tsunami happened in Southeast Asia. I was just a mile away from the coast when this happened. And in my country... Uh, totally, there were almost quarter million people who died, but there were 80 to 100 feet of waves that crashed on the coast, and I saw the confusion, the chaos that was happening uh, during that time. But here, the, the psalmist, the picture he gives us, it's the worst that can ever happen in this physical world. And if you see in the Middle Eastern context, their foundation was the mountains, the water, the sky, 
That was their foundation. And if that goes into chaos, your whole foundation collapses. So the psalmist is giving a picture. Even when that happens, God is still going to be our refuge. God is still going to be our strength. And God is a very present help. And this morning, you know, there might be a different kind of foundation that we are standing in. It might be, you know, your finances. It might be something physical that we hold on to. And we think, you know, that's what is holding me together. And God is saying, even when that shakes and when that falls, who are you going to turn to? And the promise that God gives is that he is our strength when that happens. And if you notice, it doesn't say God was my refuge, God was my strength. It's a present tense. He's saying God is. He's going to be our strength in an ongoing basis. It's not God is going to pick and choose when he's going to help us and when he's not going to help us. He is always going to be our refuge, our strength, a very present help, no matter what happens. Refuge means a place of shelter and safety. To, to take refuge in God is to live in dependence on God alone. God is the only necessity of life. And this is founded on the conviction that God is sovereign over everything. That God is in control over everything. Many a times we think, you know, like what I do in my day-to-day life, it's me who controls it. Or whatever happens around me in my day-to-day life, it's people who are controlling it. Or it's the situations that's controlling it. But we forget many a times that God is sovereign over everything. The kingdoms, the countries, the presidents, everything. He is in control and when he is in control, he is our strength. And then a very present help, a constant companion, a comforter very much when you need him anywhere and anytime. And that's the promise we have as believers. When we go through troubles in our life, when our foundation shakes, God says, I'm going to be your refuge and strength, a very present help. So this morning, what is your foundation based on? Is it based on God? Is it based on Christ, who is the coming king? You know, Jesus talks about this, the wise and the foolish builder, who build their house upon the rock and the sand. And when troubles come, you know, we, we know what happens. And this morning we are called to have our found, God as our foundation. And secondly, you will find God's power is gloriously displayed. In verses 4 to 7, you would see that the psalmist talks about there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, after talking about this cosmic destruction in verses 2 and 3, the psalmist now moves to a picture where he's talking about the calmness, that there's no threat. And he's comparing what, what is the worst that can happen 
to what happens when God is among his people. The city here that talks in the city of God in verse 4 is a reference to Jerusalem for the psalmist. It's, it's Israel that God came and dwelt time and time again to show that he was their people. And even in the wilderness, you will find that God's presence is there with his people in the tabernacle. And then when, when Israel comes to the land that God had promised, God asked them to build a temple, and God was there as a symbol for his people, as, his, as their protector and their comfort. And you will see this picture that God was with his people, that God was among his people, and that he was there in his city helping his people. is kind of also a symbolic. Not only it happened with the Israelites, but it's a, it's a picture that's going to happen in the future. If you read Revelation chapter 21, 22, it talks about how God in, in the new Jerusalem, um, a new heavens, a new earth, that he is going to be there in, among his people, and then he's going to be you know, ruling the people, and he's going to bless the people there in, in, the, in the book of Revelation. The psalmist affirms that unlike the mountains that topple in, you know, in the verse 2, the city of God will not fall. Since God is ever-present help, he will help her at any time. You know, emphasis there is on the uh, uh, break of dawn. Like the surging waters in the opening verses, nations may ar- arise, nations might come and go, but God says he is among his people, that he is going to rule and he is going to make sure there's calmness and he's going to be there with his people. And secondly, in verse 6 and 7, God, he talks about, you know, how God is going to judge the nations. In verse 6, it says, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. You know, God is for his people, God is among his people, he protects his people, but he also talks about his other side. When nations come against him, what is God going to do? He is going to judge them based on the evil that they do. They are selfish, they rebel against God, and God's response is, He speaks and the earth melts. It talks about God's authority over all the kingdoms. So, God being the sovereign creator, that He will judge the nations, and His presence being with us as people, many times today, you know, we feel that God is too far away. Right? A lot of times I hear people say, you know, like some of my friends say that, you know, I don't feel God within me. I don't feel God is close to me. God is always there. He's, he's, time and again in the Bible, he has promised that he is with us always till the end of the world. It's not based on our feelings. God's presence is with us. In fact, Christ said when he left, you know, I'm going to go so that you will be getting a comforter who is going to be with, the, with you and comfort you all the time. And this comforter with the, is with you 24-7, and he's going to speak to you through the word of God, and he's going to give you the strength, he's going to give you the hope, and we are called to know that God is among us. That's the truth that it's, even for me, it's very hard. I forget it sometimes. A lot of times, you know, we feel lonely, we feel, uh, you know, like that the whole world is, left us, but God promises that he is with us 
and he is in the midst of his people. And the third thing that the psalmist talks about is God's peace is faithfully promised. In verses 8 and 9, he says, Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Now that God has shown his uh, work among his people, he shows that how he will judge the nations. Now he is calling his people to come and see what his works are. You know, the first thing he talks about is he, he will make the desolate the places of war. Uh, desolation simply means to destroy in such a way that people who see that, they are amazed by the destruction. So God is going to show how he destroys nations who were proud and who are against him. And this is a, you know, a lesson for us to, to, to realize that no nation is great for God. A nation can be great today and tomorrow it might fall. Any nation that stands in opposition to the kingdom of God is no match for God. God can bring a nation down overnight. And here he's showing his people how, what work he has done in bringing the nations down. And the second thing he does is he will destroy the instruments of war. You know, every believer as a follower of Christ, you know, we long for peace, right? If you just see the news, if you read the, uh, turn on the TV, you know, there's always some kind of war in some country or the other, and we long for peace. But the truth is, the Bible says, there is not going to be peace till the coming of Christ. In fact, the Word of God says, in the last days you will hear wars, you will hear rumors of wars. There's going to be destruction. But God says the only time the peace will come is when the Prince of Peace is going to come and he's going to reign in this world. It's a, it's a promise that's going to happen in the future. And as believers, we are waiting for that promise when Christ is going to come back. One of the uh, scholars, James Montgomery Boyce, he sums up this passage very well. He says, The text is not presenting God as a peace negotiator, but as a conqueror. In other words, this peace is not to be comparted with any kind of treaty, any kind of negotiation, or any kind of pacts between power nations. This is a one-sided victory that will never be repeated. So God is not dealing with these nations and asking, hey, how can we, you know, strike a deal? God is judging these nations from his own side. God is showing how powerful he is by judging these nations. And we see that same parallel in the New Testament. When God was going to judge each one of us, the Prince of Peace came into the world. He lived a life that was sinless. And he died on the cross And he rose again on the third day. And on the cross he said, it is finished. This judgment that God had for us as sinners was finished on the cross by his only son. And this morning, you know, Christ is our peace offering. If if you are seated here and you are thinking about, you know, how can I have peace with God? Is there something that I can do that can bring this peace with God? 
The only thing that you can do is to put your trust and faith in Christ who died for our sins. This peace between God and man was accomplished on the cross. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, Paul says, For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And this peace was accomplished on the cross. The question is, are we accepted this peace that God has given us free? And the last point the psalmist makes here is the last two verses, Psalm 10 and 11. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You know, what is the right response? When you read the psalm, you see God is a refuge. The nations are uh, going against God. God judging them. And then God is showing his work that he has destroyed this people in war. What is the right response for the people who see that? The last two verses gives us two responses. The first one is to be still and know that he is God. You know, many times uh, uh, earlier when I used to read this verse, be still and know, uh, I would think, you know, okay, just sit calm and, you know, and, and, and know that he is God. It's not talking about a posture. It's not talking about uh, you sitting down and, and thinking about God. The literal Hebrew term, the word here is be still, is stop doing what you're doing and focus on God who is your strength, God who is your refuge, and God who is your present help. And a lot of times we are so busy with our agendas, we want to do things our way and we totally forget God. And what God is saying, I am the sovereign God, I am your refuge, I am your strength. I, have, I am in your uh, presence and I have dealt the nations in the way that I should deal. And now you as my follower, all you have to do is don't be distracted with the things of the world. Don't be doing things on your agenda, but focus on me. It's like you're breaking up a fight and asking the person to look at you. That's what the, the, the literal meaning is. A lot of times we are busy in our life, you know, trying to fight things, do things our own way. But God is saying, be still. Be still and know that I am in control, that I am sovereign, and I am a God who is going to work in your life. Only when we stop our frantic activity can we begin to experience God's work in our lives? And secondly, God is calling us to know that he will be receiving praises. In verses 10 and 11 it says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Uh, just looking around today, we might not see that. You know, Not many people acknowledge that. But the psalmist again, he's talking about a future event where he's saying that there's going to be a day when all the nations are going to exalt me. There's going to be a day when the earth is going to exalt me. And that picture you will find in Revelation chapter 7, verses 19, 9 to 17, where we see this, 
this crowd that's gathered before the throne of God from every tribe, every tongue, every people group, and every nation. And they're standing there and worshiping and exalting the God who had rescued them. And this is a promise that God gives. That when you are still, when you know that I am God, that I will be exalted one day in my kingdom. The psalmist focuses on the future where God will be exalted among all nations in the earth. And again, the, the, the application for us today is, what are we wrestling with God today? And God is asking us to be still and stop doing things with our own agenda and let Him work at the right time and for His purpose and for His glory. And when we do that, His name will be exalted uh, one day all over the earth. And this psalm is, you know, very uh, short and it's very uh, familiar with a lot of us. But when you look at the depth of it, 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 it talks about who God really is and how sovereign He is and the hope that we have in Him is more than we can comprehend. The father of the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther, is known for you know, his love for the book of Romans and Galatians. He wrote, he wrote commentaries after commentaries on, on those two books. Uh, but little do people know his love for Psalms. And one of his favorite was Psalm 46. And every time Luther would be depressed, Luther would be uh, facing trials, he would be facing opposition from, uh, uh, from the authorities, Luther would call his assistant, Philip Melanchthon, and he would say, Philip, come on, let's, let's read Psalm 46 and let's sing Psalm 46. Which led on to, uh, led Luther to write the great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And just a month after he wrote this hymn, Luther was summoned to stand before Charles V and he was asked to renounce his beliefs and join the Catholic Church. But Luther stood there and he uttered this famous word. He said, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. And he was strengthened by his psalm, no matter what he went through. And, and, and following that, many believers right through centuries have read this psalm and they've been strengthened. And they have known, they have reminded themselves that God is their refuge, God is their strength, and He is a very present help in times of trouble. This morning, are we reminded that He is our strength when we go trials, uh, when we go through troubles? He is our refuge. He is our strength. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we ask that you would remind ourselves who you are. Lord, many times in this busy world with, with things going around, we tend to forget it. Uh, we tend to focus on more, more of what we can do or more what others can do to us. But I pray, Lord, that we would, uh, we would remind ourselves that you are our strength. You are a refuge that we can go to when, when we are hurt. 
when we feel hopeless. And you are a present help, Lord. You are with us. I pray that truth would sink in our hearts, that you are with us, that your spirit is in us, and that we would be comforted, we would be joyful knowing that the God of the universe, the sovereign God, is my refuge, is my strength, and is my help. I pray when we walk out from this dose, from this dose that our lives would reflect that, Lord, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhood, in our homes. I pray that we, as a family of believers, uh, that we would put our hope, our strength in you. That you would work in our lives. And Lord, that you would be glorified. That you would be exalted among the nations. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.